0: In this episode, staff writer Soham moderates debates between Aditya and Ashrith. right, uh, welcome everyone to the IHS Voices uh, official podcast. Today we have uh, Ashrith and Aditya, two juniors here to debate on uh, five topics that uh, affect us on a daily basis and some of them are lighthearted while some of them are like pretty, pretty heavy. So let's hear what each of these people have to say on each topic. Uh, So our first topic here is affirmative action and both of these people's thoughts on it. So I'll let each of them give like a little like thirty second what their thoughts and then like a rebuttal for each each person. All right. So Aditya, what are your thoughts on affer- affirmative action?
1: Um I think that affirmative action should be removed from the college admission process. So I think what I think affirmative action is trying to address a problem that uh that can't be addressed at that stage. It's kind of like um it's kind of like cutting off the top of of <laughs> wait. It's like it's like when you, it's like when you're growing weeds and you just cut off the top That will temporarily um, temporarily reduce the size of the weeds or but uh, in the long term, the weeds will continue to grow and you really have to remove the problem at the root. Right. So um, what affirmative action is a lot of minorities in the U.S., they don't have access to the same level of education as many other racial groups. This leads to a poor education, obviously, and less opportunities to succeed in their academic career. As a result, what colleges are doing is uh, affirmative action in which there are racial quotas for uh, non-min- mi- non-minority groups such as ourselves. And uh, this leads to some make what some may consider unfair admissions. So uh, my stance is that this should be removed in the sense that at the very end, at the point where they're applying for college, right? That's where we're trying to fix the issue. But the issue should be really fixed in, um, you could think of, there should be more equal, there should be a better distribution of uh, races in the workforce. I think there's a lot of uh, internalized, seg- wait, one sec. I think there's a lot of internalized segregation happening uh, in the in the workforce, in the sense that a lot of uh, African Americans, Mexicans are being um, they're not getting what they deserve. They're not getting equal pay. They're not getting the same opportunities as a white male or an Indian male. And uh, as a result, they're having a lower income. This leads to kind of like a um, a detrimental snowball effect in the sense that uh, because of their lower income, their students get a lower overall uh, uh, a worse education essentially, and that leads to this. Uh, this policy of affirmative action. So I think it's an issue in the in the workforce area, not in the college admission. That's why it should be removed.
0: So it should not be applied in college admissions. Here,
1: no, it shouldn't be because it's addressing a problem in w- a problem in which it really cannot solve.
0: All right, uh, Ashit, what what are your you're, you're obviously a uh, for affirmative action. Why why is that?
2: Oh, uh, I'm for affirmative action because I feel like affirmative action is necessary to promote diversity. Especially with affirmative action policies, they help prom- promote diversity in educational settings. And research has shown that diverse workplaces and classrooms are associated with increased creativity, productivity, and problem solving ability. And um, I do what I need to write. There are issues in the workspace, right, with um, disparities in access to education. I'm sorry, disparities in pay, salary. And there are many disparities in the workplace, but these disparities stem from education. People like, go through all of high school, they go through a four-year degree, go to college, then they're sent to the workplace. And the way the workplace chooses people, especially when they're first getting their jobs, is based on the college they went through and how successful they were at these colleges. In colleges, um, in certain colleges, right, which have affirmative action, certain colleges have better professional settings, they have better people overall, have people that are more likely to bring you towards your goal, they have better education, better support systems. And this is why it's necessary to have affirmative action. as it helps to address the, discrimi- uh, the discrimination in the past. And this helps address the previous disparities um, in education. So, yeah, I feel like it's absolutely necessary as affirmative action just, like, completely levels the playing field. It aims to level the playing field for marginalized groups in the past who faced discrimination and systemic barriers and also, like, encourages um equal opportunity. By having affirmative action, we get equal opportunity for all individuals, regardless of the race, gender, or other identifying characteristics. This way, whenever we see like a group of individuals, like a group of software engineers, a group of um, business women slash men or people, the business people, a group of business people, they aren't segregated, they aren't just like um mainly male dominated, or they aren't mainly like Indian, they aren't mainly um, a certain race or group of people instead we have a diverse background full with a bunch of people and um it certainly just qualifies everyone makes everything more inclusive and also without having diversity this makes in, this reduces innovation and reduces creativity uh, a lot but having the same people fill up the same positions this makes it this makes like everyone have the same like especially when you have a bunch of people with the same background they all will have the same ideas. They won't be adding anything new. When you get new people, more diverse people with different backgrounds, these are the people that are gonna be able to add something new to education, to a college, to a company. These are the people that can come up with creative ideas as they're taking their own different experiences and applying it to the same job, the same education. And there they can make connections which other people who've had the same experience cannot have done before.
0: So therefore I feel like affirmative action is absolutely necessary. All right. Thank you, Asha. Do you have any rebuttal to that, Aditya?
1: Yeah, I would just like to say that the connection between uh, being successful in the college environment and being successful in the workforce is not a very clear cut one. Um, there are many uh, there are many people who come out of college, even drop out of college, that are substantially more successful than those who complete a four year degree or uh, bachelors or whatnot. And I think that connection was a false assumption made in my opponent's argument. Um, I, I think those the,
2: the amount of people that are successful without going to college is a significant minority compared to people that are going to college. Many jobs, right? If you look at a job on LinkedIn, right? Apart from minimum wage jobs, if you want something that's like actually doing something meaningful and has like a pay above $30 and they require a college degree minimum. If you want an internship, you, you need to be working towards a college degree. You're not able to access like 99% of paid jobs or you without having an education 99% of like high paid jobs and because of this right you're limited to like um blue collar work and you're not you're not um able to access better job better paying jobs there are a certain amount of people right who have been able to become successful like through trading cryptocurrency or dropshipping or whatever they didn't have to go to college this also is a small minority of people and like 90% of these like people fail like Everyone who drops out of college is going to become a millionaire or a billionaire. Otherwise, everyone would do it.
1: So um for the for the job uh requirement, right? This college degree, it's not like this college degree has to come for for uh from a from an Ivy League school such as uh Columbia, for example, right? This can come from any college. Um I feel like affirmative action hits most for the for the upper echelon of colleges in the sense that there's a lot more complaints from non-minorities that uh, affirmative action should be removed because they feel that those spots, they, they deserve those spots more than minorities do. I think um, I think minorities can still achieve a college degree without going to an, an Ivy League school. or whatever. They can still go to an Ivy League school, but I don't think affirmative action is the way to that. I think they can still work hard enough. They can get there through their own merit and hard work. Uh, and yeah, yeah it's kind of, yeah, all so I guess. All right,
0: thank you. Thank you for that very insightful debate. Uh, next, we'll move on to some lighter topics. We'll just have like one speaking session for each person. So who are y'all's like goat in the rap game?
1: The greatest of all time. I'll go first. Okay. okay. So, so I would say Kanye, right? Kanye used to be my idol. And uh, I would say Kanye West. He used to be my idol. He was a a, a role model to me. But due to his anti uh due to the recent anti semitism that has rose from his uh, character, I would like to throw him out of the argument. My next best choice would be Snoop Dogg, right? So um, Snoop Dogg is uh here. I'll give you a little bit of background. So of like a legendary American rapper, songwriter, and media personality who has the has had a significant impact on the hip hop genre. While opinions on who the greatest of all time GOAT is subjective, there's no clear cut winner such as Michael Jordan or LeBron. Uh, here's some of the reasons that I think that Snoop Dogg is the GOAT. So longevity. Snoop Dogg has actually been in the rap game since the early 1990s, uh, releasing hit albums such as, I think there's one called <laughs> Doggy Style, The Dog Father, The Masterpiece, and Dogumentary. Those are all the ones I can remember. They're all, they're all pretty goaded his longevity in the industry has allowed him to uh, consistently make hit songs and maintain his relevance uh also versatility Snoop Dogg is known for his versatile rap style which allows him to seamlessly switch between wait real quick, styles quick. Styles. I just want to ask you a quick question um can yeah. you name 10 Snoop Dogg songs 10 Snoop Dogg songs yeah um I, I can name a few albums I don't really feel like naming songs right now
2: wait so how can you call me a go if you listen to the songs
1: I have listened to his songs. There's just too many for me to really pick a a top five or pick five.
2: Right, it feels like you don't really know him.
1: I know him. He's he's my he's my favorite rapper. So of course I know him. I know him very well. Oh, right, we did one song. <laughs> one song. What <laughs> song. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. Uh, my favorite song has got to be no. It it has a it has a bad word, so I can't say it in this interview. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, I'm just saying my favorite song by Snoop Dogg is Drop It Like It's
1: Todd." Okay, okay. Very, very mainstream, very unoriginal, reflects your music taste. All right, so moving on. Um, He also has a ton of iconic hits. Snoop Dogg has released a ton of iconic songs that have become staples of the hip hop genre, such as Gin and Juice, Nothing But a G Thing. uh, Like you said, Drop It Like It's Todd." very mainstream, but still a good song and beautiful. These songs have become cult- cultural touchstones, and they're still popular today in 2023 exemplifying his longevity and its overall influence. Leading me to my next point, his influence. He has influenced many other rappers and contributed to the development of the West Coast hip-hop scene. He has mentored and collaborated with many artists such as uh, uh, Dr. Dre, Nate Dogg, and Warren G. Uh, And then lastly, I'll just talk about his cultural significance. So Snoop Dogg's music has become a cultural phenomenon, with his laid-back style and gangster rap image becoming synonymous with West Coast hip-hop. He also become he's also became a cultural icon, appearing in movies, TV shows, and commercials, and even hosting his own cooking show. That's those are my reasons for why Snoop Dogg is the uh, undebatable goat. All
2: right,
0: uh, Ashad, who is
1: your goat?
2: I feel like the goat of hip hop has to be Kendrick Lamar, without a doubt. He is like the greatest of all time. So first of all, let's start with his lyrical prowess. Kendrick is known for his powerful and thought provoking lyrics. That often tackle issues of race, poverty, and injustice. He's widely respected for his ability to weave complex narratives and use intricate wordplay and metaphors in his songs. Additionally, he's extremely versatile. He's a versatile rapper, and he can switch between various styles, from storytelling to more upbeat and energetic tracks. He has released like a lot of critically acclaimed albums that explore different themes and sounds, and these are all like winning of like awards and prizes such as Good Kid, Mad City, To Pimp a Butterfly, and Damn. Wait, can I say Damn? Is that like a curse word? Yeah, that's cool. It's cool. <laughs> okay. And Damn. So, like, what did albums. Like, I listened to one of them. Like, my IQ raised by 10 points. So, <laughs> section 80, right? I, originally, my IQ was at, like, 80 Right. It was like below average. It was like you, you have the bell curve and like I was like the bottom left. Oh,
1: 80 is like the like the lower echelon of all IQs. Bro, What you talking about? bro? Yeah, yeah. originally it was at 80, right? And I listened
2: to Section 80, like every single, like from the moment of hearing the first song, my IQ increased by 10 points. I forgot his name, but like it increased a lot. I listened to, like ADHD and they're like hella good songs on the first album. And like by the time I listened to Good Skin Man City, you pimp a butterfly damn like, especially when i was humble like my iq was at 150 but i was still humble so it was like great progression right you can you could just see like his lyrics right and his ability to storytell he talks about like in good kid M.A.D. City. he talks about how like his experience right living in Compton, he had to deal with gang violence right all his friends were like joining the gangs to, like i think his friends were like a lot of bloods and um yeah so he had like a good mind right. He was like a good kid, but he was like living in Compton, which is like a crazy city, right? It just filled. It's next to LA and it's filled with gang violence and drugs and yeah. Overall, it's not like a very safe environment. So yeah. So,
0: so we could see kind of, like like uh, someone. Sorry to interrupt. Do you think like Kendrick does not have like the longevity of someone like Snoop Dogg or like uh you know Eminem? Longevity. I think I think Kendrick does have longevity,
2: like. He's been around for how long since 2008,
1: 2009? Oh, like, bro. He's, still... he, he like, dude, he, he's like 2013, 2014, bro. He's like, like, 20... well,
2: section, section 80 released in like, wait, no. Good Kid Mad City released in 2012, I'm pretty sure. And Section 80 released in like 2008, 2009. So dude. he's been there for a while, right? And like, even to today, like, um, I'm pretty sure, uh, what was his latest album? The. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, that got number one for rap at the the Grammys. I think it was at the Grammys. Yeah. Got number one at the Grammys. This shows, like, no matter what. Kendrick Lamar, since, like, 2009, he's been smashing it. All his albums, they've all been hits. All his songs, they've all been good songs. He's always been versatile. Like, album is, like, a 9 or a 10 out of 10. And, like, compared to Snoop Dogg, like, my opponent does not even know a single song by Snoop Dogg. Like I
1: have to tell him a song. That's how bad it was. I know hello songs by Snoop Dogg. What are you talking about, bro? <laughs> All right. I don't
0: want to. I don't want to dwell too much on this topic. But that was that was an interesting debate. Um, uh, the third topic is like, uh, do you guys think pineapple should go on pizza? So any any anyone can go.
1: All right, opponent. Would you like to go first? Uh. Pineapple on pizza? Um, let's think about it. Okay, 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 okay. We should most definitely 100% have pineapple on pizza. So here are my reasons why. First of all, you need a sweet and savory flavor combination. As goaded chef Nick Dio- Nick Giovanni says, right? You've got to have the perfect bite, which has sweet, savory, spicy, salty, all of that, that uh that flavor in one bite. You feel me? And that can only be achieved by adding a sweet element to pizza, something that's been missing from standardized pizza, right? So um also the nutritional value. Pineapple is extremely healthy. It's a very good source of vitamin C, dietary fiber, and other nutrients. Adding pineapple to pizza can help boost the nutritional value of the meal. Additionally, like I mentioned before, the uh the combination of sweet and savory gives it a really ref- uh, refreshing taste, and I always be munching on that shit. You feel me? The juicy texture and refreshing taste of pineapple can add a burst of freshness to the pizza, especially if it's paired with spicy or salty toppings. Um, also the cultural influence, pineapple and pizza is popular in many parts of the world, including Canada, Australia, and Hawaii. In fact, the Hawaiian pizza, which typically features pineapple and ham, is a popular pizza style worldwide. Something that I Always get when I go to round table or dominoes. Uh, All right, uh, uh, I don't yeah. want to interrupt you, but I don't want to dwell too
0: much. So Ashrit, you want to go? What? What? You want to response to that?
2: Pizza, right? It's generally savory. It was invented in Italy, and then some guy from Hawaii decided to put pizza on this. John had a perfectly good pizza, and you put pineapple, pineapple on pizza. But what was the point of that? You're putting a this. fruit, a fruit. A fruit, uh, like mildly, uh, juicy and somewhat stringy fruit on a pizza. This completely ruins the flavor. The pineapple is too overpowering. It ruins the rest of the pizza. You eat the pineapple and then you eat the pizza. And then it's just like a weird mix of flavor, which is completely negative. It's like dipping, like I'd rather dip my pizza into Kool-Aid
0: okay let's <laughs> that that um <laughs> all right um shit, okay let's move on so uh that's a perfect segue do you guys think um the voting age should be lower to 16 I mean we're all like 16 17 years old like do you think we should be able to vote
2: I feel like we should most definitely be able to vote because, like, a lot of the time, we are actually smarter than adults. Compared to the majority of adults, um, people that are 16 are actually smarter. And this is because when, like, we did a survey, I'm pretty sure there was a survey, like, recently, right? They asked, like, adults, how how many of the branches of governments could you name? Like, almost a third of people couldn't even name one branch, like, of government, right? And as a high schooler, I can name all three, like, executive legislative and judicial. Like it's really easy for a high schooler to remember that. And also a high schooler is more involved in political issues, right? Um, most high schoolers uh, are are like learning about it in their history classes. They're learning about it at school and they're more involved in political issues overall. And since they did just like directly studied it and they're also like applying it to their daily life. Just like many feminists who are involved in voting and stuff. This makes it like important for high schoolers to also be able to vote because Encouraging high schools to vote from an early age encourages them to vote like in the future. Once you normalize it to them in an early age, this increases the voter participation rate. And the only way to have a successful to run a successful country is to have a high voter participation rate. The more voters that participate,
0: the better the country will be run. Uh, Aditya, do you want to uh, give your point of view?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, I think the voting age should not be lowered to... Uh, 16 for a plethora of reasons. Uh, First of all, there's a lack of life experience from those uh, under under the age of 16. Some people argue that 16-year-olds may not have enough life experience to make informed decisions about politics and voting, and they may not have the opportunity to learn about issues or understand the long-term implications of political decisions. There are studious individuals like Ashraf Bandaru who do know their political ins and outs, but a vast majority of high schoolers, middle schoolers, and if you're voting, wait, yeah, a vast majority of those people have no clue what is going on politically. It, this is because a, a lot of political legislation has very little to almost no impact on those under the age of 18. Um, okay, next we have uh, immaturity. So I believe that people 16 year olds or under may not be mature enough to make informed decisions about politics and voting. They may be more susceptible to peer pressure or influenced by emotions rather than facts and evidence. Um, thirdly, I have education and awareness. Some people argue that many 16-year-olds may not be adequately educated or aware of the polit- political issues and candidates they're voting for. Uh, they uh, they may not have the they may not have had the opportunity to develop critical thinking skills or learn about the political process in school. Uh, Next, legal responsibilities. I believe that if 16 year olds are allowed to vote, they should also be allowed to engage in other legal responsibilities, such as buying alcohol, cigarettes and firearms. These are all things that should come together. And uh, by allowing a 16 year old to vote, they should be giving all of these other things, which obviously the government would not approve. I also argue that 16-year-olds are not yet legally considered adults and should not be given the right to vote before other adult responsibilities. And then, lastly, the election outcomes. Some people b- argue that allowing 16-year-olds to vote could skew election outcomes. Um, recently, what's his name, Kanye West, ran for election, and I think that if we lower the voting age to this, uh, to 16, Kanye would have a good chance of winning. For 16-year-olds him. are imbeciles, huh?
2: I said I would have voted for him.
1: Yeah, I would have voted for him too. This is exactly my point, right? So, because sixteen year olds are still in high school and often live with their parents, they may be more likely to vote for candidates that their parents support rather than making an independent decision. And uh, yeah, that's that's all my arguments for why the voting age should not be lowered to sixteen. Yeah, Any...
2: I just like um, rebuttal. Um, I I realize like the importance of the voting age being at eighteen. I, I think that back in twenty twenty when Kanye was running president. I most definitely would have voted for him but now seeing the bigger picture and seeing the impact Kanye really has by like what he said what he says and his overall rhetoric I see why he would not be the ideal candidate and you know, I should probably vote for another individual
0: Okay so this meeting is about to run out of time so I want to get to the final topic which is a a more heavy topic um do you believe the United States should reintervene in Afghanistan to like uh, eliminate the Taliban and everything they're doing there. Um, so, anybody can take this topic first, yes or no. And obviously, you guys disagree. That's why we chose this topic. So, all right, uh,
2: Aditya,
0: would you like to go first? Having some technical difficulties with Aditya. So, Asha, uh, you, you can. can sometimes. To
2: yeah, I'll, I'll be able to go first. All right. So, a few reasons why the US should not intervene, re-intervene in Afghanistan is, first of all, the cost. The war in Afghanistan was like one of the longest wars in U.S. history. It lasted over 20 years, since like 2001, and it just ended like last year. And it was the longest war in U.S. history, and it cost billions of dollars. Actually, no, not even billions, trillions of dollars. The U.S. spent an estimated $2.26 trillion just on this war and resulted in little progress towards stabilizing the country. The intervention of Afghanistan would require significant resources and would further add to the already high cost. Additionally, there's a huge human death toll from the war in Afghanistan. Like, already people in the military who serve in Afghanistan, they get, like, military PTSD injuries, lifelong injuries, stuff that they can't recover from, bullet wounds, right? But apart from that, people actually, like, died in this war. This resulted in thousands of U.S. service members and Afghan civilians, like, millions of... A huge number of civilians who had, like, nothing to do with the war, they died during this war. And re-intervening in Afghanistan would increase this further loss of life and would have a significant impact on the mental health and well-being of service. Additionally, like, over the past 20 years, like if you haven't been able to fix Afghanistan over the past 20 years and the Taliban just continued to rise, America just simply being in Afghanistan increased Taliban membership overall. More people joined. The Taliban was fueled by... America intervening in Afghanistan and they did not want Western countries coming into their country and and uh like fake trying to solve their affairs, their political affairs. Just wanted, like, before America intervened, there was not that much support for the Taliban. But as America intervened, more and more people were against America, wanted them out. And they they saw, like, the Taliban as a better alternative to Americans, which is why there's the longer that America was in Afghanistan, it just seemed that it was a Western country with millions with billions, trillions of dollars just trying to intervene and trying to, like, bully the smaller country. So overall, like, the U.S. going into, re-intervening into Afghanistan, it's been, it's it hasn't accomplished anything in the last 20 years and there's no clear goal. We have to inter inter reintervene in Afghanistan. It has to be a clear goal. And we have to be careful about the amount of money we're spending, the time we're spending, the service members who are like potentially going to lose their lives. There's a lot of questions here that are um unsolved and they haven't they haven't been answered. There are questions here that are that are unanswered and they haven't been answered for the last two years.
0: Many, many, uh oh, many sorry, great adults. <laughs> many many great uh many great let me let me finish all right uh many great points from ashrit Uh, aditya what's your response to that
1: yeah so i think a lot of people are under this false misconception that non-intervention is the best way to go i would like to go back to the very notable and uh influential figure figure adolf hitler okay so (laughs) during world war ii right yeah, okay, wait, wait, wait. Oh, fuck. All right, all right. During World War II... Yeah, yeah, So, So Adolf Hitler uh, was expanding Germany, and there was this one Muppet, right? His name was Neville Chamberlain. He essentially allowed Adolf Hitler to expand uh, as much as he wanted, giving him all the land he wanted. Uh, essentially, he... Literally- Great Britain uh, did not intervene, and this resulted in Adolf Hitler taking all they wanted. If we were to employ a similar strategy of non-intervention with the Taliban in Afghanistan, uh, we would simply allow them to grow and grow. Um, People say that we have not come to a crossroads with the Taliban in the last four or six years, as my opponent stated, but really you can think of it as we haven't let the Taliban advance. We have kept them contained, and we haven't let them... uh, Yeah, we haven't let them advance. All right, so now going directly into the reasons why we should re-intervene in Afghanistan. First of all, uh, we have human rights. So the Taliban's return to power has raised concerns about the human rights of Afghan citizens, particularly women and minorities. Some are I argue that the U.S. has a moral obligation to protect human rights and promote democracy in Afghanistan. Things established in the Truman Doctrine back in the 1900s and that re-intervening could help achieve these goals. Next, we have geopolitics. Afghanistan's location at the crossroads of South and Central Asia makes it strategically important for regional stability. The U.S. may see a a strategic interest in maintaining a presence in the region to counter the influence of Russia and China. And then lastly, I have legacy. I argue that the U.S. has a responsibility to ensure that the sacrifices made by U.S. soldiers and civilians in the nearly two-decade-long war in Afghanistan were not in vain. Reintervening could help protect the gains made in terms of security, human rights, and democracy.
2: Okay, so my opponent has a completely false perception that we actually made some gains in Afghanistan. Like anything we gained, right, we completely lost it. Like all the weapons, like the billions of dollars of weapons we took into Afghanistan they were stolen by the Taliban. The Taliban used guerrilla warfare, and they were able to steal our weapons. They were able to steal our like military technology, and now they're using it. This is why the um, Taliban had the upper hand, because they know the terrain, right? Afghanistan is like a very diverse country, and it has a specific terrain, which American soldiers, when they land there, they're not used to the Afghanistan people, they've been in this weather, they've like they know um how the terrain is like. And due to this experience, they have more experience. That's this is why they were able to win the first war. And if you spend trillions of dollars and we spent 20 years in a war, what makes you think that we're actually gonna win this? Like no clear um chance of us winning it. Also, another thing is that if the US did not pull out of the war back then, if Biden did not pull out of the war. The um, Taliban was going to invade Af- uh capital of Afghanistan. I forgot what the name was. Kabul. Um, Kabul, yeah. Afghanistan was going to invade Kabul in 90 days if Biden did not pull out. Pulling out was the only way to get the U.S. soldiers out of there. The ta- Afghanistan would have fell to, Talib- to, to the Taliban no matter what. But Biden um just pulled out to make sure that the U.S. citizens, U.S. soldiers could get out safely. It was inevitably going to fall. And it doesn't make sense to re-intervene now because there's no chance we're going to win No chance we're going to like help fix human rights. And overall, it's just not going to have any positive outcome for either
1: side. So essentially, right, it wasn't the guerrilla warfare that caused the U.S. to lose so many resources and whatnot, but it was actually the ideology of non-intervention. The U.S. left uh, left uh, Afghanistan with the goal of uh, saving the lives of all the remaining U.S. soldiers that resulted in the Taliban taking all the remaining equipment. Prior to this uh, event, uh, we were at a, you can think of a stalemate or a standstill, similar to the end result of World War I. Um I just blanked out one sec. Yeah, because you're wrong. I'm right. I'm right. What? Just, what? Everything I'm saying is like, wrong. You're
2: not, bro. What do you mean a stalemate? you're going to get hacked in day. All right. <laughs> I think, a, I think, think this, is
1: a, this
0: is a good point to end this uh, podcast. Thank you, Aditya.